0: At the conference, together for the Underestimated Gospel, which Sam mentioned about, um, there was a session devoted to the inerrancy of Scripture. Now, you may not know the word inerrancy, but once I explain it to you, you know what it, it is. The word inerrant means that Scripture is without error. It's a doctrine of our a view of Scripture that Scripture is without error, so the inerrancy of Scripture. Well, this conference pointed out the importance of holding to this belief, and there was a panel discussion with a number of pastors and theologians, and some of them were even from United, from UK, from Cambridge University. But one of the um, things that these this panel debated was how can we today in the twenty-first century still maintain and argue for the inerrancy of Scripture. Because two, three centuries ago, German liberal theology has influenced the world and the Western Christian world that we no longer have the confidence to think that that the Bible is without error. So there are even evangelicals today or self-professed Christians who actually no longer think that it's important for us to believe that Scripture is without error. Well, they invited... British scholars, like I said, two of them were from Cambridge University, and a number of pastors from America to talk about this importance of inerrancy. Well, one of the panelists was a pastor by the name of John Piper. You may have read some of his books. He's a pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. And he was asked, who was the greatest influence in instilling in him a trust that the Bible is without error? Now, John Piper completed his PhD a few decades ago in Germany, in Tübingen, a place that once a few decades and centuries ago was a cradle of German liberal theology. So when he was asked this question, who in his life was the greatest influence to help him stay so strong on the importance of inerrancy? We expected that there must have been some great theologian uh, that he that he read, or some scholar that helped him see the importance of the inerrancy of the Bible, that scripture is without error. But his answer shocked us. He said, so the question was, who taught you to have this kind of trust in the Bible? And he said, my mama. My mama. And he went and studied in some of the liberal places, and he walked away untouched with with strong confidence in God's word. Why? Because his mother, when he was young, instilled in him a passion and a trust in God's word. Today is Mother's Day, and we want to recognize and honor our mothers and the influence they have in rearing children. Mothers, you may be some of the strongest theological influence in your family in the ability to instill in your children love and trust in God's Word. Fathers, we'll talk to you about t- today about that as well. Mothers are not the only ones to do that, but mothers, you have a, a unique role, and we praise God for you, and we want today to address a subject that will have applications for mothers, but it will have applications for every parent, It will have applications for every person who is not a parent. It will have applications for every member of this church, and it will have applications for the entire church. Now, at the end of the service today, we will dedicate a number of our children to the Lord. And um, we rejoice in this commitment that we want to take as a congregation to rear up the next generation. Well, on this Lord's Day, a day that the Lord has made, we want to recognize mothers, and we want to talk about something that is pertaining to the family. The subject that I would like to address today is loving God with our families. Loving God with our families. I encourage to open Scripture to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll read the entire chapter, verse 1 through 25. Here's what Moses taught the people of Israel. Now, if you are using one of the Bibles provided in the chair in front of you, You may find this passage on page 160, Deuteronomy chapter 6. For those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Old Testament. So you start at the beginning, count five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Here's the word of the Lord. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you... A land with large and flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Serve Him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your fathers, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? tell him. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there To bring us in and give us a land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God. So that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God. As he has commanded us. That will be our righteousness. Amen. Well, this was the word of the Lord for us, for our hearts, for our congregation on this Mother's Day. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we do ask that we too would listen to your commands from a heart that loves you dearly, from a heart that loves you alone, and nothing would compare to you in the way we love you. Father, we pray that your word would speak to us to all of us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, for those of you not familiar with the book of Deuteronomy, it is the five, last of the five books written by Moses. And if you knew Greek, which I don't assume you would, but if you knew, the name gives away its significance. It means it's a second giving of the law. The law that God gave to Moses to give to the first generation of Israelites when they had come out of Egypt. But do you remember what happened that first generation? They got out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, God gave them the law at Mount Sinai, and then they marched to go into Canaan and they came to the the borders of Canaan and they sent some spies to check on the land. The land that God promised He would give them because He promised their forefathers God would give them this land. But the spies came back, and they saw giants, and they were afraid. But it was not just afraid. There was not just fear. This generation, the first generation of Israelites, even though they have seen all the miraculous things God had done to get them out of Egypt, they could no longer believe and trust that God would de- deliver them and bring them into the land. They were more afraid of the giants They were more afraid of the people of the land than in the power of God to bring them into that land and to free them of the enemies of that land. And because they were afraid of men, because they disbelieved God's promises, God said, this generation will never enter that land. So God turned them around. He turned around from the border and said, you guys are going to walk for another 40 years in this desert until every one of you will die because you are not worthy to enter the land I had promised your forefathers because you have disbelieved the word of the Lord. And for 40 years, the first generation walked around in the wilderness and none of them entered the land with the exception of two men, Joshua and Caleb. And now, 40 years later, when all the parents have died, now the children, the second generation, come back to, this, to, the, to Canaan. They're right before entering Canaan, right before crossing the Jordan River. And God tells Moses to give the second generation the law again. And that's why we have the second giving of the law. That's the book of Deuteronomy. But there's an emphasis happening in the book of Deuteronomy. Different than the first time God gave the laws. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses emphasizes the importance of loving God. The importance of, of loving God. And unlike the, the first time Moses just hammers it into them, the importance of loving God as they obeyed his commands. Actually, friends, if you were to look at the entire Old Testament, the book that focuses most clearly on the importance of loving God in the Old Testament is the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 is one of the high points of this book. In it, we see what is referred in the New Testament as the greatest command. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be upon your hearts. So one of the messages of the book of Deuteronomy is that we cannot obey God and God's laws without loving God. But just as as Jesus said in John 14, we cannot love God without obeying his laws either. But there's something else that's happening in the book of Deuteronomy that is emphasized significantly, especially in chapter 6. Not only the command to love God, but the responsibility to teach the next generation to love God. Look again at verses one, two, and three. There's a clear multi-generational implication. Our obedience has multi-generational impact. Look at verse two in specific in, in, in specifically. So that you, your children, and their children after them. May fear the Lord your God. In other words, the obedience of the Israelites of this second generation was not just for them, but it was for the generations after them. Friends, the command to obey God and to love God is given in this multi generational context. As one pastor put it, it's a multi generation vision of spiritual protection and prosperity. How amazing that at the beginning, of this nation the second generation israel receives a very clear condition for growing and for ensuring a bright future for the generations following them and those conditions were wrapped around their desire to obey the lord from a heart that loves god listen to what god said in deuteronomy chapter 5 just a few just a page prior oh that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commandments always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Do you see, do you, do you hear the, the multi generational implication of the obedience and love that God calls Israel to have? Dear Christian parents, mothers, fathers, grandparents, even if you're a single woman or a single young man, do you realize that your faithfulness to God's word? Now, today, coming out of a heart that loves God has a promise for the young generations coming after you, for your children. Friends, if we want to leave a better future for our children and, of, and for the children of our children, let us discover, let us rediscover the promises of obeying the word of the Lord from a heart that is fully devoted to God. And the generations coming after us will have a better future future. This is the context in which God asks Moses to give the law for the second time. So let's look at, at the law. What exactly is God asking them to do? Let's look at the first command that we read in this chapter. Look at verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord our, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The first command begins with this command to hear. Hear. Hear, O Israel, listen up. This is significant. Our view about God does not come from us. Our view about God does not come from what we would like God to be. We do not define God in the way God would be comfortable to us. Now, there are people who would like to do that. They say, I feel God would not do this. Or I feel God is this way because He would never do this to me. Friends, the first command, the greatest command God gives the Israelites is, Hear, O Israel, listen to how God defines Himself. The people who even today would say, Well, Christians today believe this about God. Friends, Not even other Christians is a reliable source for us to know who God is. Our only reliable source for us to know who God is, is what he revealed about himself in his word. He alone has the only right, reliable source to describe himself, who he really is. So everything you hear, everything you would like to believe about God, make sure it matches with this word. The second part of this first command is to love God and to love him with everything we have. In other words, it's not enough to know who God is if we don't love him. Friends, the demons know God. And in some ways, they know more about God and they see more about God more realistically than we can see things about God now. But the demons don't love God. It's not enough just to know things about God The question is, do we love God? Now, what does it mean to love God? It means to cherish Him. It means to get excited about Him. It means to find satisfaction in Him. It means to be willing to sacrifice for Him. Now, in our society, laws and love do not really define one another well we have such a romanticized view of love where we think of love as simply a feeling or an emotion that cannot be pushed on us. Nobody can force us to feel a certain way so that it's hard for us to comprehend love as a command. Can you command someone to love someone else? We think about love as a free act that cannot be coerced or commanded. We tend to think that if, if it's a command, it's no longer love. So we think that pure love is that which comes from our own initiative. Now, that's what our society would like for us to think about love. And we tend to bring this idea about, of love into our spiritual lives. But one of the major differences between our society and our spiritual condition is that we would never think about loving God on our own. We would never take the initiative on our own to to love God. Because we are born in sin, we would never consider the possibility to love God on our own, nor would we realize our duty to love God on our own. So God has to tell us. God has to command us. The greatest command God gives us is to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. He created us. We owe it to him. Yes, we rebelled, but he redeemed us. So we owe it to him twice to love God with everything we have. Now, another way to express this command is given to us in verse 6. God says, I'm going to give you some commands, but these commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Friends, this was the way God in, intended his commands to be followed. The laws of God were to be first and foremost on their hearts, so their obedience would come out of their hearts, out of their love for God. But notice the command to love God was not only for themselves. Notice verse 7 through 25. There's something that happens in these verses 7 to 25. There's actually a parenthesis how, how, how God, how Moses writes the, this chapter from verse 7 all the way to 25. There's, there's something that's, that is a major emphasis. The command to love God with our heart, soul, and strength is followed by the command to impress these commands on our children. We're not called to love God by ourselves. But we're called to love God with our families. Now you can't impress these commands upon your children unless... You yourself love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and soul, and, and, and might. You can't pass on to your children a love for God if you don't model that love yourself. For us Christians, it also means that if our children don't see us passionate about Jesus, we cannot communicate that passion to them. Let me ask you, do your children see you? Read the Bible. Do your children see you memorize the Bible? Do your children see you treasure God and treasure the community that God redeemed? Do they see you take seriously God's commands? Or do they see you treat it lightly? Do your children see an excitement, an attitude of excitement when it's time to gather with the saints, or they see you find excuses for not gathering? We love God with all our strength by the degree to which we, in everything we do, we model the love of God and the commands of God upon our children. Notice how we are to impress these things. There's a command, impress them. But how? How do you impress on your children? Now again, those of you who don't have children, you may say, how does this affect me? Listen carefully because if you are a part of God's people, these things are for all of us. How are we to impress these upon our children? Well, look at verse 7. Talk about them. Talk about them. That's why I asked our brother Sam to give us a testimony. So many times we as parents assume, oh, they see us live the Christian life. That's all it takes. That's all we need. And they go to church. That's where they're taught. Other people talk to them. Notice How do we impress it upon our children? Talk to them. Talk to them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. This means that we are called to teach them about God in everyday life. Friends, parents, do you talk to your children about God at home? Do you talk to them in your car? A great time to talk to your children in your car about God because they can go anywhere. Yes. Uh, Do you talk to them before they go to bed? Do you talk to them early in the morning? Friends, just talk to your children about God. Talk Talk to them about different parts of Scripture. Talk to them about the Gospel. Talk to them about different books of the Bible. Talk to them not just about moral behavior, but talk to them about the story of redemption. Talk to them about our sin before God. Talk to them about the commands of the Lord. Talk to them about the Sermon on the Mount. Talk to them about about the Beatitudes. Now, when and where should we talk to them? When you sit at home and when you travel. Friends, what do you do when you're at home with your children? Do you just send them to watch TV so you have some time for yourself? Do you just encourage them to play video games so they can give you some time off? What do you do when you're with your children at home? Or do you just encourage them to do their homework? So again, you have some time off. It's not for them, it's for you to have some time off. What do you do when you're with your children at home? Friends, if you let your children watch TV, at least play the game Catch the Lies. Don't put your child in front of a TV and and expect that he will have the wisdom to discern the lies of our world from the values that God's word teaches. Be engaged in rearing them up. Now, don't assume that you have to give him a Sunday school lesson. You don't. Talk to your children about the Bible in every situation they, 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 they experience. Talk to them about what it means to relate every experience to the Bible. Now, we must teach not only facts about God, but to love God above everything else. We must teach them to value God. We must teach them to prioritize God. And we do that not so much by talking. We do that by the way they see us prioritize God above other things. So let me ask you, parents or grandparents, or actually warn you or encourage you, Beware of sports on Sunday. Instill in your children a desire to choose God and the corporate worship experience over attending sporting games. Teach them. Take that opportunity to teach them that there are things in life that are worth renouncing for the sake of God. Here's another one. Is the homework of your children more important than training them for godliness? Would you rather have them stay home and do the homework than come and be trained in godliness? Do you really care that they would be more ready to have a successful career than to be a man or a woman of God? The way you prioritize your schedule, the way they see you, put the priority of God, of the church, of the community, of of the redeemed people over everything else that they do in their lives, it will pass on to them an idea of how valuable God is for you and how valuable God should be for them. So we can impress these things upon them by talking. We can impress these things upon them by modeling what to prioritize in life. We can talk about, we can impress these things on them by repetition the Hebrew word for impress, uh, impress means to teach diligently, and it also means to sharpen. Sharpen these words in your children. Do it not just once, but do it often. Remember the story of the man who was married for 50 years, and after 50 years, his wife decided to divorce him because she felt her husband doesn't love her anymore. And his response was, Honey, I told you 50 years ago that I love you, and that if anything changes, I would tell you. Friends, we know it doesn't work this way in marriage. Why would we assume that teaching children God's word would work the same way? Why would we assume that if we told our children the gospel once is enough? I love what Sam mentioned in his testimony. Yes, he he had the courage to actually, after 12 years, of actually deliberately presenting the gospel to his children. And I hope that will not be the first one, first time or the last time. We have to teach God's Word to our children repeatedly. Repeat it. The Word of God has the power to open up our sinful hearts. Our duty as parents is to impress these laws on on our children and talk to them about it and repeat it often. What do you do when you travel? Do you just let them watch TV? These days you have cars with TV in them. Just put something on and let them them watch something. I know a family who every time they drive to church on Sunday morning, they would read a psalm. One psalm per Sunday. It takes about three years to finish. Friends, what do you do with your traveling time? It's a great time to talk to your children about God. Impress on them these things by having physical reminders. This is what verses 8 and 9 tell us. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and your gates. Now, Orthodox Jews, even to this day, do some of this stuff. They really have these physical reminders. Even we as Christians, you go to some homes and you see nice uh, pictures with Bible verses. Uh, Joshua uh, is one of the famous ones. Uh, f- this house for, as for me and my house, thank you, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. There are all kinds of verses. The name of God as wonderful things that you can put around your house to remind your children and to create a spiritual atmosphere. Well, friends, let me encourage you about one thing I would like for you to consider. As a physical reminder, a very physical reminder, consider having family devotions. Consider having family devotions. Donald Whitney, one of the professors at Southern Seminary, gives a very basic three-point guideline for having family devotions. Read the Bible, pray the Bible, and sing the Bible. Read something, explain it at a very basic level for your children, then pray about it, pray about what you just read, and then sing something together. Now, I know some of you hate the idea of singing. You don't like the way you sound singing. That's okay. Nobody's there to listen to you. In an audience like where you would feel ashamed. Sing together. Sing together with your family. Teach your children to value singing. That's why when we incorporate worship, we prefer corporate worship and congregational singing over performed music. We want you to sing, even if you don't like it. God wants you to sing. We want to train you to sing. We want to force you to sing when you're here. Set spiritual goals for each child. Now, I have to confess on the on doing family devotions, I'm preaching to myself. I Do not do this as often in our home as I would like to. We do it occasionally. I'd like to do it more. So I'm preaching to myself. But consider giving your children, consider giving your household a time in the week when you have family devotions. I know this is not practiced very often, but I want our church to consider doing this. And I'm speaking to dads right now. I'm not speaking to moms. Dads, you are the priests. Don't expect your wives to take this initiative. You have to do it. And then from verses 10 to 19 in this passage, uh, Moses gives a number of other commands that seem very general. Be careful not to forget the Lord your God when you get to the the land of Canaan. Do not follow other gods. Fear the Lord your God. Do not test the Lord. Uh, Be sure to keep the commandments of the Lord. Do what is right in the Lord's sight. But notice how this list of commands ends in verse 20. Another focus on the family. When your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and the laws of the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him. And notice what the response is supposed to be. They're not supposed to so much explain each law, at least not in this passage. They're supposed to do something else. They're supposed to talk to them about their exodus they're supposed to talk to them about their redemption. In other words, dear friends, the laws God gave Moses to give to Israel make no sense. We cannot understand them if we don't understand them in the context of redemption. The Israelites were not called to obey God in order to be saved. The Israelites were called to obey God because God brought them out of Egypt, because God saved them. Now, we sometimes think of the old testament and indeed some some the israelites often thought of these laws as the means of their salvation but that was not god's intent and god clearly taught the parents when your children ask you about all these laws don't just tell them what they mean tell them about the exodus tell them about the redemption that's why these laws are there friends When we teach our children, we're not supposed to teach them just moral behavior. We're not supposed just to teach them how to be good citizens in America, how to be good Christians in the church. We're supposed to teach them the gospel. Friends, I pray that we would learn how to bring up our children, not just in the Word of God, but in the Word of God that is centralizing on the cross of Christ, what Christ has already done for us in Jesus. But there's something else about these commands that I would like to use to focus to finish this sermon. These commands are given to the whole nation. That means that there is a corporate responsibility we have as a church for our children of this church. Not just for the children of every other family, but especially the children of this church. Now, even though in this chapter the emphasis is on each parent to teach the gospel to their children, there is the corporate responsibility. The application for us is not the nation of our country, but the local church. Each member has a responsibility to be involved in rearing these children as a church. We people have the impression that, some people, that I care for my children and that's all I can handle. Now it's somebody else's turn. That's not true. I've done my part in the past. I no longer have the energy to do it. Friends, we as a church are responsible to bring up all the children to grow in the fear of the Lord and in the love of the Lord. Parents, you're not done when your kids are grown up and moved out of the house. Grandparents, you're not done parenting when your kids become parents. You have other kids in this church to parent. God brings you more children through the church, to bring up. A new church plant here in Austin, they just started a few years ago. They have 130 attenders. And of 130 attenders, 80 of them are volunteers for the children's ministry. Now that's a church that is heavily involved in rearing up the next generation. Friends, I praise God for those of you who are already serving. In pb in Sunday school, in teaching our children, but I want to give a challenge to our dads. I want to give a challenge to those who are older, who think they have done their duty. I want to give a challenge to all of us. Let's come alongside young families. Let's come alongside young children and youth. I would love to see not only moms involved in children's ministry, but dads. Now, on this Mother's Day, I would like to challenge the men of our church to step up and give a hand to our ladies who are volunteering to raise our children. Men, you may say, I don't know how to do it, and I believe you. (laughs) That's why two weeks from today, after the morning service, we will have a children's ministry training seminar designed specifically for dads and men in the church. Now, I hope we'll have at least 50 people show up, and I'd love to see at least half of them to be men. We want to equip you for the training that God calls you to do. Friends, God gave Moses instructions upon the whole nation, to give upon the whole nation to train their children. These, this means that individual families and, our, and the overall community is responsible. Friends, we do a great job in trying to support Noah's Ark Ministries, but Noah's Ark Ministries are not our children. We have a responsibility for our children to raise up. You cannot be a member of this congregation and not care and be concerned for the children and youth that God gave us. Some of us may be more interested in the children God did not give us, the youth God did not give us. Oh, we want to have a larger youth group. We want to have a larger children's ministry. What if we just started with those we do have, care for them, invest in them, and God will bless us? Friends, I want to finish with the story of Jonathan Edwards. I uh, preached a sermon of his two weeks ago. Jonathan Edwards took it very seriously, both him and his wife, to bring up their children in the home in the fear of the Lord. He saturated his household with the Word of God. He and his wife saturated their children with God's Word. And here's here's a list of their descendants. Thirteen of their descendants were college presidents. Sixty-five Of them were professors, a hundred lawyers, a hundred missionaries, thirty judges, sixty physicians, sixty authors, eighty holders of public office, including three U.S. senators, three governors, a vice president, and a controller of U.S. treasury. And all of this because Jonathan Edwards took it upon himself to train his family in the fear of the Lord, and God blessed it. Friends, I want you to want us to realize that our commitment to our children, our commitment to the Lord, has multi-generational impact. Today, I would like for us to spend some time dedicating, as a congregation, the children of a few of our families. Let's uh, spend a few times in prayer before we do that. I'd like to ask these families to get ready to come forward. Let's spend some time in prayer.